for Tom Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo. Tom Fitzgerald, I'm here with the low in your Tilo. Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. I'm hello. Say hello to the nice hello, people. Hello. Yay. How are you today? I'm fine. It's Friday. It's always crazy on yeah. Friday. Um, it's been crazy and busy. Crazy and busy. Good busy this week. Yes, yes, yes. We're, we're racking up numbers in terms of content. There is a certain number we have to hit every week for the site to remain, you know, good and healthy. Right. And while, you know, the pandemic and the lockdown and all that was happening, we were not hitting that number for many months at a time, which, you know, we, we can ride something like that out. But it is nice to be back to relatively normal numbers of posts per week. And it, I have to say... Nice. I agree. Uh, because this is how we work and how we've been working for 14 years. It is actually, I don't know if you'll agree or not, because we have different responsibilities, but it is actually easier for me to do 10 to 12 posts a day than it is to do five in a weird way. We've talked about that before. Right. Because Um, when it's five posts, it usually means you don't have much to work with. You're scraping the bottom of the barrel and you're trying really hard to make every single sentence and post count in a way to give people maximum, you know, right. entertainment value, maximum shareability, uh, which isn't to suggest that you slack off when you have high volume. It just means that you hit your rhythm. You hit a certain rhythm and you get to, you know, it gets much easier. Right. Um, I like the idea that uh, at least I have been more creative. Well, I... Listen, this is... I'm sorry if this turns out to be the Tom and Lorenzo backpatting hour, but... Uh, we've both talked about this behind the, you know, behind the scenes or whatever in our day-to-day lives. Uh, there are no scenes. It's not like there's a stage. But we've talked about this a lot recently about how, you know, we actually are quite proud of ourselves because, listen, we all face challenges this year and and they range in intensity and in outcome. And I'm not suggesting we had it harder than anybody else. I, I, I vehemently deny that. I know plenty of people who have had it harder than us. But... Uh, we really had a struggle to find uh, a new approach to how we do work um, at a time when everything was, you have to understand that, um, you know, our work relies on celebrities and it relies on uh, pop culture as a machine continuing every single day. And that means everything from red carpets to photo calls to talk show appearances. It means um, on-set location stuff, you know, people shooting movies, people shooting TV shows. Uh, It requires, and it has required all of that since day one. Well, since day one of our professional blogging. Um, So that all shut down in March, like completely shut down, and we had no way of generating content. and we couldn't just say, okay, guys, we'll see you in a couple of months when this is all over. We had to keep going. And I won't deny that the first couple of months post-lockdown were probably pretty rough. But we have really figured out where to go and what to look for and what people want at mm-hmm. this time. And um, I, it has been a huge stretch of our professional capabilities, both as writers, as publishers, right. as, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right now, it's true. Uh, I, I still remember our reaction back in March when we came back from our very short tour. Very short tour. <laughs> um, I remember sitting in our living room and I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do? It was really panicking in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, everybody went everybody through Everybody went through same that. Same thing. We're not saying, I'm not saying we're, you know, we're special here um, or it just happened to us. But uh, we had to figure out what to do, and it was very tough. And now, month later, I'm actually 
proud of myself in the sense that I had to force myself to be more creative. Yeah. And, and I do appreciate that. I like that. I've been doing a lot of things that I kind of neglected. Like I, I'm reading more books now. I'm taking more time to enjoy myself, spend time with my cats. I don't know. There are certain things. I know it's silly to say these things, but it's not silly. for a long time. It was like work out to the gym you know, back home, whatever, you know, it was like this very fast, I think Tracy Ellis, uh, uh, actually, um, Tracy Ellis Ross, Ross, sorry. She actually said that on, on her Instagram, she said that, yeah, my life was like, you know, go out, come back, you know, and that was it. Go to bed and then go out again and come back. And now she's spending more time in her house or apartment or whatever. And, you know, just doing more things that you kind of like, you know, Toss aside. Anyway, so we had to be more creative, uh, you know, and uh, like it's interesting. I would, we we do the tea lounge now, and we have to come up with a bar every every day, and it's and it and it's funny because it's harder than it looks. It is harder it than is. it looks. Tell me, uh, listen. Um, tell me about it. I was gonna say, listen. Uh, I, tell me, listen. Tell me, listen. I know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> anyway, tell me about it. That's what I meant to say, and then I'm going to say, listen. Um, it's a, I take a lot of time looking for them, and uh, I try to be to look for different kinds of bars. Uh, and sometimes I, I don't, I'm not even crazy about them, or it's not my style. But it's nice to you know mix and you know mix it up a little bit, um, and make sure that they're from different parts of the country and that we can use the pictures. You know, all that goes <laughs> into the, the you know decision process. Uh, but I'm enjoying it, and it's funny because I go through those bars, and I just then I want to travel, I want to do things. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's been tough. It's tough for a lot of people. Yes, it's tough for most people. Uh, and um, but it, I, I, I don't know. I have learned a lot too in the process. Um, yes. So anyway, that's our way of saying that you know we're doing our best to keep we're, the side. Well, we're running. all doing our best this year. Uh, I think. Yes. But I, I, yeah, just a little sidebar that we're at. We really did stretch ourselves this year in ways that was very. I mean, I believe I've said this before. Um, we kind of thought from March to September, we were just going to coast on book touring and it was going to be all about that book. And, you know, the, the site would have obviously continued publishing, but we didn't have a publishing plan for the year. We really honestly thought about for about six months, we were going to, it wasn't going to be our main focus. It was going to be published daily as it has been for 15, almost 15 years. But uh, we were looking at a reduced amount of content while we focused on on doing whatever we could to sell this book. So that obviously didn't happen. Uh, and we had no backup plans, so we we really had a scramble. We had to deal with our disappointment that the book tour was uh, wasn't going to happen. At the same time, we had to be like, oh my God, what? how are we going to continue publishing in this atmosphere? So uh, the fact that we did, the fact that we did it without interruption, and the fact that I, I feel, and believe me, believe me, we are our own worst critics. Um, we really, really go right, every right, right. go over everything and look at what we've done wrong and right at the end of every week. Right, but so I'm really proud that I we proud our content is good. Done. Anyway, I and I miss a lot of stuff, uh, <coughs> and I hope I can at some point go back to the gym. But I was just reading oh, about Lord. about the spin class we in bought, Canada that yeah. 75 or 78 people got infected. Anyway. I we do, have bowls of Halloween candy, and I it's know. not good. It's not good, folks. <laughs> I do hope I go back to the, I do. I do hope I go back to certain things that I used to do. But at the same time, I'm happy that I'm incorporating all the things that I kind of neglected, and they're they're back in my okay. life. Okay. 
We have to move on because we have topics. Yes. Yes. All I'm right. sorry. It's just <laughs> okay. we've been talking about this and we really Enough have a lot about to come. Well, don't I you want to yell at the anyway, queen? Yes. Let's. Yell and at don't queen. you want to talk about the queen's gambit? Yes. And the haunting of, of Bly Manor. Yes. 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 And yes. the undoing, and Star Trek Discovery. It's going to be an all TV talk episode of uh, the PSO with a little sidebar as we yell at the Queen of England for disappointing us this week. Uh, but first. I want to talk about UncommonGoods.com because Lorenzo and I, well, first off, because they're sponsoring this portion of the podcast and because Lorenzo and I got to go shopping on yeah, their lovely yeah, site yes. and we got the sweetest little things. I got this really super uh, tea light set for Christmas that um, has all these um, uh, metal uh, forest trees in front of them. So it casts a shadow on the wall and it looks very crispy. And Lorenzo, who never met a piece of serving ware or hosting ware that he couldn't snatch up immediately, <laughs> uh, bought a cheese board, which is, um, it has segments and compartments and little slots for sticking bowls and olives and oh, all that kind of stuff. My point being, they have great, <laughs> great stuff and the holidays are coming and we're really pleased that they are partnering with us at this time. For those hard to gift people in your life. Finally, there's an easy answer, and it's UncommonGoods.com. If you're on the hunt for unique, unusual gifts that are guaranteed to delight, you've come to the right spot. Uncommon Goods has all the best gifts, no matter who you're gifting or whatever the occasion is. Um, tired of giving shoulder shrug gift cards or cash to your friends and family? Especially this year, don't you feel like... I've already started thinking about the holidays and thinking, you know, we're not going to see people, so if I give anybody anything, I have the time right now to to really make it count instead of just sending, you know, like I like this says, a gift card or something. Um, I don't know. This year, I feel like gift giving is going to have more meaning for people. I think too. So check out Uncommon Goods for the most unique gifts you can find online. No matter who you're shopping for, Uncommon Goods has a perfect gift. From art, jewelry, kids, kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has unique gifts for everyone. Through Uncommon Goods, you can support artists and small independent businesses because Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or designed in the U.S. They'll help you find something meaningful and always out of the ordinary. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give $1 back to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2 million to date. So... To get 15% off your first gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash T-L-O. That's U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash T-L-O. That's uncommongoods.com slash T-L-O for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, cool, unique, and unusual gifts. Really, I had we had so much fun perusing their uh, website. Okay. I do, I do like everything. And, and what I like about them <clears throat> is that because most of the time, you know, you go to sites to buy something and they all have the same stuff. And what I love about them is that it's high quality, number one, great price, and they're unique stuff. I mean, like stuff that you won't find, you know, everywhere. It's just like this. I always like when I'm giving a gift to someone, um, especially if it's like houseware or whatever, I like it to be different. I like to be, you know, have a little twist, be a little different. Uh, and they do have all that stuff. Um, we're going to talk TV now. Oh, no, we're yes. going to talk about the Queen oh, of England Queen, 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 okay. because Lorenzo, you know Queen what, it's one. actually, it was a really good press week Yes, for, for us. Tilo. We had a piece in Cosmopolitan. Uh, well, that was actually last week for the Emmys. Uh, so let's say it's been a good press month. We had a piece in Cosmopolitan for the Emmys. 
Um, we were interviewed for Elle magazine this week, and that came out, and we put it on the site. And Lorenzo got quoted in uh, Marie Claire uh, using <laughs> the word the "fuck" and referring to the Queen of England. But it <laughs> turned God. out to be this scandal. The Queen came out for her first public appearance this week in nine months, and uh, she and Prince William went to some I don't know weapons weaponry and tactical center used by intelligence agencies. I'm reading this off of Twitter. Um, she looked lovely in a lovely pink hat and pink coat, and she looks hale and hearty, which is good to see. And it was but the first time she was out, right? In a while. I just said that, yeah. First time out in nine months. But she didn't have a mask on, and she's 94 years old. And actually, some of the pictures were taken inside with other people around. And we just happened to join. The reason Lorenzo got quoted is because this blew up on, on social media as the pictures rocketed around social media. And... Um, you know, as Lorenzo said in his tweet, you do it out of respect for, uh, you don't, you know, you do it to set an example and you do it out of respect right. for others. Uh, so go ahead and talk about no, why yeah, you got so angry. I, I, I just got annoyed because then they clearly realized it was a mistake. And then they all came back with, oh, well, she was tested. The doctor said it was okay. And everybody there was tested. Everybody there was tested, blah, blah, blah. But that's, you know, you have to remember that the people look at images, Exactly. And if you see the queen not wearing a mask, it doesn't matter. One of the matter. most famous elderly people in the world, right. if not the most famous, she right. should be setting an example for because let's remember that COVID is hitting people over 65 right. much much right. harder in terms of the death rate than anybody else. She's 94. It's just the thing is that you have all these leaders in the world, like you have the Brazilian president and then you have our president and we have everybody not wearing a mask and then the queen just joined them in a way. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it just was irresponsible. Sucks. And, and, um, and Catherine, you can say, well, Catherine, there's a ton of pictures of Catherine not wearing a mask. Duchess of Cambridge, Catherine. Yes. Uh, Kathy, my friend. Anyway, uh, so, but she, she has also pictures with a mask on. So she shows up with a mask on or whatever, and then she takes it off or whatever. My point is that if, if, if you want to take it off at some point because you feel like it's okay to take your mask off, fine. But come on, take a few shots with, with the mask on, um, you know, just to set an example. I'll never forget Lady Gaga. Uh, she was at the uh, MVAs, I believe, and she... You know, she VMAs. VMAs. I'm sorry. My God. He can't do it. He can't do acronyms. I know. Or I'm tired. Abbreviations. Anyway, he can't do it. Anyway, the VMAs. Um, the AMVs. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Whatever. The SUVs. You, you hear? <laughs> Law and Order oh SVU. My God, okay. Enough. <laughs> You're here to correct me. Uh, anyway, oh, yes, I am. Oh yes, you are. Anyway, so the VMAs. Lady Gaga said, you know put a mask on you know it's the right thing to do you you, you respect people when you do that and it's true uh uh you do it for others you're not you you don't just do it for yourself and that's the part that that i hate about what's going on in the in the country especially because i can't speak for the entire world um that i that's the part that i'm most disappointed about is the fact that we're not thinking about the others uh we're so selfish and self-centered that we, we, we can't put a mask on to save others' lives. I mean, it, it, that part kills me. Right. Hopefully not. <laughs> Bringing this back to the Queen, I just want to say, and this isn't a defense, but um, it's not. I, I agree with you that she. it was a bad thing for her to do. It was a bad idea. It was bad optics. Um, and she really should know better, uh, having been at this so long. she really. But then again, she's always been sort of slow to understand the shifting moods of the public and whatever. But she comes from a tradition 
that her parents uh, established, and she's used, utilized her entire life as sovereign. It's always informed her work uh, when she goes out in public, which is that the people need to see her face. The people need to see the mm-hmm. face that's on the money. She's actually said that before. Uh, and she understands the value. And like when her, she understands the value, or or at least she has an, a specific understanding. I don't know if if her countrymen all feel the same way. I, in fact, I kind of doubt it. But she, her understanding of her role is that when the country is faced with stress and hard times, they need to see the sovereign's face. That is exactly what her parents did during the war. And sometimes that works for her and sometimes that doesn't for her. And this was a time where, honey, no, that's not it. The country didn't need to see your face. They needed to see your face messed up. Right. Uh, this isn't a war. This is a pandemic. Um, you but, can't approach it the same. And she's done this. And a lot of times when Elizabeth has has walked into some sort of um, foo-for-ah, some sort of scandal doesn't seem to quite apply. But when, you know, the press or the public turn on her, it always seems to be her rather um, early 20th century understanding of her role coming up against late 20th or early 21st century, you know, social mores. Go ahead. No, I agree. But... Uh, the point I, I, I made with my tweet is that it comes across as as if you were beyond all this. And that's the part that it's not. It shouldn't happen. Uh, you should be there with everybody else. Right. Uh, you know, protecting yourself the same way that everybody else has to protect themselves. Um, you, you know, you just, you can't play above and, and you'd be like, oh, all right, but I have like 20 doctors telling me that it's okay to do what I'm doing. Um, no, no. When people have to wait two weeks to get a result, a test result, you know? So no, it's, it doesn't play well. And I think it's wrong. But anyway, so that's why I said what I said. Sometimes you do things (coughs) because you want to set an example. Uh, and especially when you are like her, the queen. Um, so yeah, so I was disappointed. Uh, like I said, she could have taken the mask at some point off, you know, and whatever, do whatever. Right. But just take a couple of pictures. Uh, it sends a huge message right. uh, that you care, right. uh, that you're concerned. Um, that's my take. Um, All right. Yeah. Bad idea, Betty. He didn't do a good one on this week. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if she is stubborn about this or not. I mean, I don't think she's... She's been on lockdown for nine months. She hasn't made any appearances. So clearly she's not... Um, cavalier about COVID exposure, but I guess she sort of weighed the options and thought that this is what people needed from her. Anyway, uh, let's talk TV. Yes. Uh, Shall we start with, we've got four shows, one of which is a purely Tom review, the other one is a purely Lorenzo review, and the other two we will both be reviewing. I'll start, okay? All right. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 dropped yesterday. Actually, the first episode dropped yesterday. I'm going to keep this brief. Because I think only, well, I know there's a healthy number of nerds listening. So, uh, but I will, I'll keep it free. Um, the, if you are watching, if you know anything about Star Trek Discovery, it has had a rocky uh, history in its two previous seasons. Um, uh, largely because it was, well, for two reasons. Fanboys hate when um, franchises evolve especially if they evolve towards centering uh, more women and more people of color than they did in the past. See Star Wars for a perfect example of that. Well, the same thing sort of played out with Star Trek Discovery, which centered an Asian woman and a black woman in, in its initial setup. Uh, uh, 
um, for the show. Now, Star Trek has had other shows that centered uh, female captains, that centered black captains, but I think um, the newer, sh- the new version of Star Trek, it was a very 21st century take right out of the gate, and uh, Star Trek is a f- very 20th century franchise in a lot of ways. It's very rooted in 20th century science fiction, 20th century television tropes. So, I never blamed the show. I was never mad at the show for uh, trying to modernize uh, Star Trek. In some, you have you have to, you have to. Um, you can't expect a science fiction fran- any franchise, but especially a science fiction franchise that's over fifty years old with over seven hundred hours of episodic television and what twelve, thirteen films. Uh, you cannot expect that to continue to, to just serving up the same thing over and over again. Of course, it has to evolve, especially since it was born and most of its glory years were at a time when television wasn't mature in its storytelling approach and diverse in how it uh, uh, centered certain people in stories. Having said that, Star Trek has always been good. It was always a, a trailblazer. Um, which is why any complaints about it being quote-unquote woke are so ridiculous, because right from 1966, the show was a trailblazer in terms of uh, racial and ethnic representation. It had the first interracial kiss on television. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhuru, wanted to quit the show, and no less a personage than Martin Luther King talked her out of it because he said little little black boys... Well, actually, I think his idea was that little boys and girls of any color needed to see competent... Uh, wow. black people in these settings. I didn't know any of that. Martin Luther King knew the value of the, the show's uh, approach to diversity. So when you hear modern fanboys complain about, you know, the show being woke, we can all dispense with that idea rather quickly because it's nonsense. But there is a problem with how um, Discovery tried to do things. There's nothing wrong with coming into a franchise 50 years later and doing a much more updated, aesthetically updated version of it because it's not going to look like 1966 science fiction. What they, the mistake they made was that they set it back during the same setting that the uh, James T. Kirk, William Shatner years were set. So we're supposed to believe that this show was happening roughly around the same time that the original series was happening, even though the technology, the hair and makeup, everything was completely, completely different. And that was dumb. It was just dumb. And it was, it was... Even though the second season was better than the first, it they exacerbated the problem by actually bringing in people from the original series, like Spock or uh, Captain Pike, and making them recurring characters on the show. So, you, for a lot of fanboys, and I, you know, I really shouldn't say fanboys. It's such an outdated term. I mean, nerds. Let's just say nerds across the board. Um, it's it's just it was very hard for them to make that leap into seeing this as some sort of alternate take on established history instead of advancing the history. So that's the setup. Season three, they basically seem to have understood this. And at the end of season two, they sent the main character, um, Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, and a handful of the, the cast members her character was closest to and sent them 900 years in the future. So now... We're, we're in a version of Star Trek that no one has ever seen. It's, it's nearly a millennia later than any other version of the show, including the Picard version that just ran, uh, what, six months ago. So it's a bold move, but it was probably the smartest move they could have made um, because on its own, Star Trek Discovery is perfectly entertaining, high, high gloss uh, television science fiction. It's just a big space show with, with 
aliens and pew-pew guns and spaceships and space battles. And on that level, it's perfectly fun. Anytime you try and uh, see it in the realm of Star Trek, uh, you have to make a certain leap every single time. I never had that much of a problem with it. I'm always like, oh, it's an alternate reality, whatever. Um, let's just go with it. But other people have, and I've read some reviews of this season premiere, and they're still having problems with it. Let's get into the season premiere. Uh, the reason why I didn't write a review, we were going to, but then I watched the episode and I was like, none of the cast is in it. It's just Michael Burnham running around the future with a new character, but it's all table setting, which that right there, I was like, mm, there's some fun scenes in this first episode, but it's literally just all prelude to the season. Um, so that that wasn't the greatest idea for a premiere. Second thing, I noticed this right away, and I was like, oh, God, all of the nerds are going to be so mad about this. The real Trek nerds are going to be so mad about this. The flavor of the show has changed so much that it looks like Star Wars. It looks and sounds like Star Wars. Um, they they introduced this new... Because it's 900 years in the future. So the Federation is... And this is all in the promo, so I don't think I'm giving much away. The Federation is basically no more, and uh, it's a much more lawless time. And she meets this character right away. Um, uh, I think his name is Cleveland Book, uh, who's basically a Han Solo character, basically set up as a love interest for her. Very much this roguish, very hot. I have to look up the actor's name. Um, <laughs> and he's actually great. And their, their uh, scenes together are great. But it is so Luke and Leia. It is, I mean, not Luke and Leia, Leia and Han. It's so Han and Leia. Now, it's refreshing in that both actors are black. Absolutely. There was a scene with them where they were using this tech and looking out over this alien landscape. And I, I did reflect. I was thinking of um, not just Star Trek Discovery, but Watchmen and um, uh, Lovecraft Country. And I was like, it's so, I'm so glad where I'm living in a time where I'm seeing science fiction that puts you know, these faces forward. Right, uh, right. Because they were always backup characters. They were always side characters. But here they are the heroes. They are driving the action in settings that are, you know, very fantastical, pure science fiction, pure magic, pure superhero, whatever. So I did enjoy that. But, like, you introduced this character, Cleveland Book, and right off the bat, he's in this space battle that looks like something out of Star Wars. And he's being yelled at by this alien who is speaking in an alien language while he responds in English. That is pure Han Solo. You, you did, that was not a thing in Star Trek. Star Trek had universal translators, so everybody spoke the same language. It was one of the smoothly science fiction-y sort of things that worked about the franchise. Star Wars always had people speaking different languages because it was trying to give you this idea of this enormous, vast right. empire that is barely being held together, and it's a lawless blah, blah, blah. Um so right there, I was like, that annoys the hell out of me. Having one character speak in an alien language while the other one responds in English is pure Han Solo. It's Han and Jabba the Hutt, Han and Greedo, Han and Chewbacca. It defined how we saw Han. Um, so I hated that right away. Without a federation, and it's this big lawless time, and there's space battles and smuggling going on, it really is, it's really difficult not to feel very, very weighed down with the Star Wars-ness of it all. Um, I'm intrigued about where it's going. I want them to reunite her with the cast as soon as possible. I don't think having her apart from the cast is good uh, for the show in the long term. Obviously, I'm in it for every single episode. I do like Discovery. Um, and I don't think this direction is necessarily a bad idea. 
But there were some rocky bits to the premiere, and we'll see how it plays out for the rest of the season. So I would give that, if you if we're in, I hate giving grades, but I always wind up doing it because I want to simplify my rambling review. But I would give it like a B plus. Hmm. Um, all right, so moving on and being very efficient. Do you want to talk about the Queen's Gambit, or do yes. you want to mix it up? No, I can talk about her. Oh, good, because I can have some water. Go I ahead. can talk about the show. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about the show. Uh, it's a new show on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit, which I didn't know. It's a chess move. The Queen's uh, Gambit is a chess move. Uh, starring um, Anya Taylor-Joy, and I absolutely love her. I think she is a joy. Uh, I've, I've, <laughs> no, I've that's watched, bad. That's no, bad. No, it's great. She is a joy. She, she's gorgeous. <laughs> She she's very expressive. Uh, everything is on her face. Um, I think she's a great actress, and she's done a great. She's done a couple of things that I really liked. She did the miniaturist, right? Um, the um, what else? Miniature. Miniaturist, right? Miniaturist, yes. Yes, the miniaturist. Uh, based, she did the witch. Based on a book that she did the witch. She did Emma, New the Mutants. movie, uh, and Peaky Blinders. A ton of stuff. A ton of stuff. I really like her, and I also like her a lot in this uh, TV series. Uh, the Queen's Gambit. It's about she. It's, she plays a character called Beth. Uh, she's an orphan. She lives. She, she grows up in an orphanage, orphanage in, in Kentucky in the late fifties, uh, and she learns how to play chess. That's the whole story, uh, and she gets very good at it. Uh, she becomes this chess master, and she she then. And she goes around the world, you know, competing and so on. And, and a lot of stuff happens, and I'm not giving anything away. Um, you know, she gets adopted, and her mother, uh, played by uh, Marielle Heller, she's also a great director. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a fantastic job. I just I love her as the mother. Um, I really like the show. Yes, it's it's a little bit of a cliche every now and then, but a I do love the fact that it, it's a it, it's a very strong female character uh, in a world of men, the chess world, uh, especially in the fifties. You know, she's surrounded by these players and all men being aggressive and, and mocking her and so on, and she has to fight her way through. Um, so that's number one. I love that, and she's good at it, and she. Beats their ass. <laughs> you know, she's just good at it. Right. Um, um, so, and it, it, she, she also has, uh, she struggles w- with addiction. Again, I don't want to get too much into that. But it, it is interesting because to me, it was a, a, about a, a, a lot of things. About someone trying to prove how good she is and, uh, and how, you know, that she's, she's allowed to, be, to win. She's allowed to be good at something that most men, it was pretty much just men playing chess at the time. Uh, that's number one. Number two is she struggles with addiction. She, she's an orphan. Um, she has to deal with all that. Um, which is not and not not an easy thing to go through, and I do like the way the the show sort of shows you you know the struggles when when you you don't make choices and yet you are <laughs> you suffer their consequence you suffer the consequence of somebody else's choices right um, you know it, it's one thing when you make bad choices and you have to deal with it, but when you're born when when you go through life you know suffering the consequences of somebody else's uh, choices. Someone made those choices for you. Um, and, and you have to overcome all that. So I, I think the show does a good job. As I said, it gets very cliche every now and then, but I've also mentioned here on the podcast that um, 
I tend to forgive a lot when I like a show. You know, I tend to just, you know, I don't have to love everything about a show. Sometimes I just like certain parts of it. And, and the show has great parts, great, great stuff. Uh, the costumes are beautiful. My God, the costumes are beautiful. Um, and I love the whole process. I mean, th her costume throughout the entire story, how it, 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 it develops uh, with a character. Um, love the costumes. The set are beautiful. So I it I thought it was a fun show. Um, I I really recommend it, and I think you like it. Um, it I, the whole chess thing, just the chess thing alone. And I've read a bunch of reviews already saying that you know it's like oh my god, people are thinking about chess again. Like you know you kind of forgot about chess. I guess it's not something that everybody thinks about unless you're a fan of of the game. Um, I don't know anything about chess, and it was interesting to watch the show and. And realized that my God, it's it's not an easy thing to play chess. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's fascinating. Um, it's it's like a part of your brain that you have to have it. Uh, I never to, mastered it. I know it's insane. No, I can't say I put that much work into it, but I did try several times to learn chess. And I mean, I learned the basics, rudimentaries of it, but I was never good at it. And it, yeah, I don't, I I don't think I had the right mind for it. My mind is too um, right all over the place. It's not tactical and strategic and mathematical the way you need to be. I think that, and the, and the show does a very good job about uh, showing that how you really have to study. So they study all these yeah, books about moves and, and, you know, and they have to practice at home and like they, they play a game and then they go back, like she plays a game and then she goes back to the hotel to replay the game. So to see what she did right or what she did wrong and why her opponent moved a certain way it's really fascinating i think she did a good job um like i said i loved her mother uh mariel heller um great actress thomas brody songs oh yes it. yes yes he's also yeah i forgot to mention him thomas brody Sangs sangster i love him he was great in in um game of thrones um i love him love him as an actor he's also in it um anyway i highly recommend it um like i said it's not you know great art but it's a lot of fun absolutely i i um have only seen the first episode that's why lorenzo took over because he's seen the entire series um and he didn't watch a minute of star trek discovery with me we both <laughs> watched the haunting of bly manor oh yeah i finished it lorenzo still has an episode to go uh let's talk about that at some point i am going to talk about the ending of the show but i will give anybody fair warning before i do that and you can skip ahead we're not going to linger on the ending but i can't really um, get into my critique of the series as a whole if I don't mention how it ended. Um, but again, you will get fair warning for that, and it won't. We won't spend more than a few minutes on it. So, uh, the Haunting of Blind Manor is the follow-up series to last, or actually, I believe it was two years ago. Um, Netflix had The Haunting of Hill House, which was based on Shirley Jackson's Hill House, and The Haunting of Blind Manor is based on um, the Henry James's The Turn of the Screw. Right. I believe, by the way, in last week's or the week before in the podcast, because, you, God, you talk so fast and furious. And then you, <laughs> I, I actually listen to every single podcast, by the way, from beginning to end and rate how we did and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. how the sound is and everything, whatever. Whether we talked over each other. Or I, I know. I know. I'm the one that always talks over Lorenzo. So I, I do listen every week. And I, at some point in the last couple of weeks, we were talking about the haunting of blind manor and i said it was based on the turning of the screw i and i listened back and i was like oh my god someone thinks i'm illiterate i know it's called the turn of the screw um 
but much like the haunting of the Netflix is uh, the haunting of Hill House series. This is not really based on it on the book. It's more or less inspired by the book. Some of the characters have the same names. It's the basic setup of a large English country house with two creepy English children and a nanny and other household staff. And there's a lot of sexual tension and romance that goes on. And all of that's straight out of Henry James's book. Um, but it's set in the 1980s, and it's, uh, you know, a very modern take on horror. Now, director, creator, show creator Mike Flanagan um, is a master at modern horror. He directed Oculus. I believe he wrote it as well. I believe... Oh, I would have to look at what else he's done. Um, I know he did Dr. Sleep last year, which was actually... Um, it was the the um, sequel to The Shining, which was actually really good. Oh, yeah, he did Gerald's Game. He did Ouija Art. He wrote Ouija Origin of Evil. He's got this huge... Uh, he did Oculus. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wrote that. I do. What... I do like his approach. I think it's a little more sophisticated. A more sophisticated take on uh, horror. Myself. Here's what I. It's not that I don't like this, but I can't shake. So I can't remember where I saw this critique of his work, and I was like, that is very true. Is that um, he's very good at doing lush, moody horror, um, like super creepy horror. Um, but he has a tendency to give his horror stories happy endings. And sometimes mm-hmm. so I don't want a happy ending on a horror story. I want a horror story. I want to be horrified by a horror story. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. But um, it, like he, and I won't say that, um, you know, Hill House, I don't I want to give away too many endings here. Let's just say he finds a certain romance in uh, the idea of, uh, people continuing on after death or being separated by the veil of death. And he finds, and that's a theme that returns a lot in how he ends his stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like I said, I don't want to name which ones end that way because then I'll, I'll wind up giving you lots of spoilers. There's nothing wrong with that. That is an approach. It's a high gothic romance sort of approach to fashion. Um, I mean, fashion to horror. <laughs> and, um, Given the fact that he's right, these projects right now, Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, are based on high gothic horror novels. Um, the, it's of the past, they're not modern works. That makes a certain amount of sense. Um, however, I think he sort of reached the you know, he sort of gave in to his worst impulses in some ways with Bly Manor. I did not find it scary at all. Oh, I, I at I, I, any I time. During the entire, I believe, nine hours, for however many episodes it was. Now, uh, Hill House? Oh, yeah. I thought there were some... There are scenes I can name now where I'm like, yeah, that was so freaking scary. The scene in the funeral home was yes. so yeah. damn scary in The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I the thought, scene I thought where it was she, scary uh, She screamed from the... The ghost screamed from the backseat of the car while the two sisters were arguing. I still... My heart stopped. I, I didn't get any of that with Bly Manor. It's all creepiness it's all tone and atmosphere and he's good at it the house looks amazing the children were creepy as hell the little girl we have she's annoying about- <laughs> um i'm about to cough because I, think- I had a lot of coffee i'm gonna get some water i'm gonna get some water you talk about the little girl i think the little girl was awesome um i i, I love the way she performed um it was just like yeah, she was annoying, but I think the character was supposed to be annoying. Um, but the, every now and then when she looks at you and when she delivers her lines and all that, I thought she was awesome, awesome. 
uh, you really don't know if she's a good she's a good person or a bad person, a good kid or a bad kid. Um, I, I and then she tell. was an annoying kid. Uh, and then she, what I didn't know, or is she a ghost? Is she real? I think she did a good job. I think the boy was also. Uh, I think they were they were good. The kids were good. Um, yeah, the sets were interesting, but you made a very funny and good point that the kitchen was right. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean we'll get into uh, the sets gorgeous. But here's the other thing. Uh, the show is, was mostly Americans making a show about an English country house. So the, Mike Flanagan is an American director. He returned to some of his favorite actors, some of whom were in Hill House, like uh, Victoria Pedretti and Henry Thomas and Carla Gugino. And uh, Victoria Pedretti p- played an American, but Henry Thomas and Carla Gugino had to both play, had to both suffer their way, struggle their way through English accents, neither of whom gave a convincing one. Right. And Carla Gugino's was especially problematic when you find out how it ends, which I'll get to later. Um, so there was this struggle. It never felt fully English. It felt because they were using American actors to do English stuff. And then, like I, like Lorenzo said, I couldn't get past this. <laughs> it's an English country house in the Downton Abbey mode, okay? Like huge house. Think of Downton Abbey. Think of upstairs, downstairs. It's supposed to be that kind of house. But uh, when in the first episode, the little creepy little girl is giving her a tour of the house, and the kitchen is right off the front door, like right off the front foyer. And it is this massive kitchen that is clearly it was actually a beautiful set um but it was clear it was all subway tile and it was clearly meant to be an old kitchen it had like stained glass window i'm like nobody built what are we even talking about nobody built a kitchen on the first floor let alone the front facing like the the housekeeper can uh look out at the massive gardens (laughs) while she's doing the dishes no no and so much of the um of the series is set in that kitchen and shows people running in and out of that kitchen straight into the floor. I'm like, I can't stand this. Did they never, <laughs> never look at an English country house? Did they, didn't they, they would watch be in the Abbey? basement. Um, no, I, I had the hardest time with that. I, it, it all felt so American that it was very, very hard for me to get past. Um, like I said, it wasn't scary. Good performances. Uh, Tania Miller played the housekeeper, Mrs. Gross, and she had a lovely episode all to herself where you find out her dark, deep secret, and it's it's tragic and heartbreaking. Literally, there's a lot of tragic and heartbreak in this. A lot of, like, lovers separated by death or lovers mm-hmm. dying, and it, it happens over and over and over again to the point where, um, and I'll get into the finale in a bit, um, it just lost its impact by the time you get to the big lovers separated by death at the, I mean, they will have been the third one at this point. Right. It, 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 it gets interesting when they get into everyone's story, but then you get caught in the story to the point that like, Oh, I forgot about the ghost or the, yeah, where are the ghosts? <laughs> we're Lots talking of flashbacks. Yeah. yeah and... We're talking about your childhood, but okay, <laughs> we're okay. We're so focused on this that, you know, where's, where are the ghosts? Um, but it was nice. I, I enjoy that part. Um, I have to say, uh, everyone's story and, you know. I, I kept I at it till the end because um, I knew he was going to wrap it up in some big romantic ending because that is how he works. Um, and I wanted to see what the point of it all was. And uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I made it all the way through. I, I watched the entire thing and I didn't, mm-hmm. su- I didn't, I can't say I suffered through it. It's moody. And atmospheric. He has a good stable of actors that he likes to use. Like I said, Tania Miller. There's also um, Rahul Kohli, who played Owen the cook. First off, he's super cute. 
And he was he gave a really heartfelt he sort did. of lovely performance that was you know sticks with you. Um, Oliver Jackson Cohen, not really, not really. Didn't really love him. Um, Amelie Eve, who played the uh, gardener, the lesbian gardener, thought she was great as well. Um, so it's it's it'll take you along nicely through your October if you want to watch it. You know, turn the lights down, light some candles, and watch it. It's got some great moody moody scenes. <laughs> there's there's not no there's very very little that's strictly horror, and it's it's very like. And this isn't a complaint, actually. It's very like old movie horror where it's creepy and everything. But believe me, there's not blood or gore or anything like that. I don't want to. And that's fine because it's nice to get away from the Ryan Murphy version of horror where it's just everybody gets their head cut off and gets eviscerated. Right. It gets to a point that is just too much. I hate that. So I like the idea of old, romantic, moody, foggy, you know, uh, gothic style horror. But you also have to make it scary. At least a little bit. And ha- and Hill House was, but um, I think Bly Manor suffers from just, just too much ro- too many tragic romance stories. Right. There's literally four or five? I mean, there's an actual um, sort of uh, love triangle that's right. in, told in a flashback. It's just too much. It's just, like, that's the only theme. And then people die, and then lovers are tragically separated, and on and on and on. It... it kicks in towards the end where they suddenly start explaining like why each child is acting so creepy and what happened to this person and what happened. And so I would say that the last three episodes are probably the best in terms of storytelling. Uh-huh. I agree. Um, then it gets to the end. Now I'm going to talk about the end. If you haven't seen it yet, skip ahead five minutes. I don't think I'm going to talk about it much more than that. Um, counting down five, four, three, two, one. At the end, you find out Carla Gugino has been telling the story the whole time at this wedding is actually the lesbian gardener in the story, only it's 20 years later. Why she's aged up to look 40 years older, I don't even know. You also find out that the bride at the wedding, the the uh, American girl who's getting married, is actually the little British girl from the story with amnesia. Amnesia and no longer a British accent. Uh, huge leaps to get to these points where it's like, oh, that's where this is going. and. That's when Carla Gugina's horrible Yorkshire accent stood out. I was like, she's supposed to be the same. I mean, they cast an American who can't do an English accent to play the older version that was played by an English accent. It it was so, I was like, no, no, this takes me right out of the story. None of this. I understand, okay, the children have amnesia that turns them into Americans. And it was just a lot to get to by the end. Um, And... um, I've been reading a lot of pieces about the tragic ending for the two lesbian characters and how, you know, one of them dies and is living at the bottom of the lake at at Bly Manor. Um, And everyone feels like it's this grand, glorious, tragic gay world. Okay, I'm not going to argue with people on that. I just didn't feel it. I I actually liked them as a couple. They were very charming as a couple. It Mm -hmm. seemed very tragic to me. But then the idea that Carla Gugino's character would spend decades pining away for this dead lost love. And then nothing about that ending worked at all. It just, I didn't get mad at it, but I was like, oh, okay, I get I mean, all right. And the whole thing with how she wound up at the bottom of the lake, um, dead, there was just this, like she had to say a certain phrase to the other lady at the lake. And then that, there were all these rules 
to why the ghosts were there and how they couldn't leave the grounds. And I, I was like, what, who established these? Is there a spell? None of that is explained. It's just like this very complicated ghost setup because there's this flashback to the 17th century that shows that the lady of the manor was horrible and she's now the lady of the lake. And it's just, it never pulls together and it's never scary. Right. Um, it's great, great moodiness. But, and it's watchable as hell because of the cast. But I mean, again, if, if, if I'm giving a letter grade, I, this is a C plus to me. I, I have to say, since we're past like spoiler now, we're we're talking about spoilers now. Wrap uh, it up because I said we were only going to do five minutes. I don't want someone right. to land I, on it. I I love the boyfriend story, the boyfriend part. I was the what? The boyfriend, her boyfriend, the whole boyfriend thing. Which boyfriend? The boyfriend that died, the one who died was were the first boyfriend she had when she was. Uh, oh oh oh! I really like that story. Um, I it, don't know. It went nowhere. It went nowhere, but I like the way Victoria Pretty's first fiance, yeah. yes, died, got hit by a car, and he was haunting her. I've, it had some good, creepy scenes. It, yeah, number one, that creeped me out, and and also it was kind of heartbroken. I was, it was heartbreaking. It, um, the whole, the whole way how the their relationship went. Right. Um, I I like that the fact that you know she pretty much dumped him because he. She couldn't deal with the whole thing, and, and I, I like that. I like the way they did his glasses. Yeah, Love all right. Um, moving on to The Undoing, which mm-hmm. comes out on HBO on October 25th, which I believe is next Sunday. Um, written by David E. Kelly, who wrote the adaptation for Big Little Lies. It also stars Nicole Kidman, who also starred in Big Little Lies and won an Emmy for her role. Um, shares some of the DNA. It's obviously going for the same kind of audience, but the vibe is completely different. Big Little Lies was like a deliciously fun, slightly satirical take on upper class um, conventions and and um, you know overachieving mommies in you know white mommies in the upper class and that sort of thing. It had some fun, juicy bits to it. I don't think Undoing is like that at all. Um, it's. It's not humorous. No, I don't think it is. It's very much a murder mystery, a shocking, plotty, twisty murder mystery. We wrote a review of it. We're going to get a little bit into it, but we're not giving... No, I'm not giving away one spoiler. No, no, of course not. Not one. No, no, we um, But we just wanted to say that it, you know, just to bat it around a little bit. I do think if you're into this sort of thing, if uh, it, like I said, it's not the same as Big Little Lies, but if you were into Big Little Lies, this will push some of the buttons for you. It's Nicole Kidman looking freaking amazing her hair her hair is gorgeous and red and flowing and her costumes are just stunning everybody has an amazing house or apartment because (laughs) everybody is drop dead one percent wealthy and they're terrible people with terrible problems like that's the appeal right there The, the the houses are extravagant the clothing is extravagant the problems are so extravagant uh, so you can kind of get lost in this. It's gore. It's grisly. I wouldn't say it's gory, but it's this grisly murder mystery. A woman gets bludgeoned to death, not on camera. Um, and Nicole Kidman gets caught up in the murder investigation. Her whole family gets caught up in it. All, and it's it uncovers all these very wealthy, like her father is Donald Sutherland, and he has a penthouse. You would Die not for. believe. And I be, it's shot on, look, as far as I can oh tell. Oh, my God. That she, when she's out on that balcony, I'm like, that's not green screen. They shot on location. Looking out over Central Park and uh. just 
massive. It looks like beautiful, a White House on the beautiful, inside. Beautiful home. I don't even know if they mention what he does for a living. I don't care. I just want to live with him. <laughs> I so, I mean, that's in. half the appeal. It's you're just looking at... But um, this I didn't put in the review because... Um, whatever. You may not want that right now. I mean, I get that. It's 2020. Things are weird. Uh, you may not want to be looking at really wealthy people. Personally, I found it very soothing. I was like, look at these, like, look at how much they screwed up their lives, these awful people. <laughs> at the same time, while I'm admiring their beach houses. Um, so go ahead. You say something. No, no, I, I, I do like it. I think uh, Nicole does a great job as usual. And, I'm, and she, I, I like that she's doing a lot of TV. I think she's a great actress. And she's clearly interested in doing TV. Uh, it's working for her. I think she does a great job. I do too. Um, I, uh, the cast in general, the Italian uh, actor, actress, I forget her name right now. She does a great job. Um, Lily Robb is in it. She plays her best friend. The Italian Oh my actress. God, she is awesome, yeah. I can't find her on IMDb. But I think everyone does a good job. I like the mood. I like the uh, the colors. Matilda D'Angelo. Yeah, is she's really good. Yeah, she is. Uh, and she's gorgeous. Beautiful. My God, My God so she's beautiful. Sexy and 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 sensual. Um, listen to me. Anyway, so she uh, the colors are beautiful. <laughs> I know. I'm looking at her. She wears like, a, wow, um, you hot? Nicole wears a Givenchy dress that is in the first episode that is just like. <gasps> That metallic pleated multicolored gown. Is this copper, just beautiful pleated Grecian uh, dress? See, we're just being. It's a totally shallow review. (laughs) Hugh Grant plays the Hugh Grantiest Hugh Grant that ever Hugh granted. Yes, my God, so charming. But you also want to punch him in the face all the time because that is, to me, that has always been Hugh Grant's appeal. Is that he's smarmy. And charming at the same time. Um, and when he gets a chance to be that, did you see the interview um, in New York Magazine with him that Mark Harris did? Absolutely hysterical. Charming as hell. Uh-huh. Charming yeah. as hell. He he. The one point he said, I thought this was a film about very privileged people dealing with uh, extravagant problems, but really it was about this really fat man married to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> And he was like, I have honestly never seen that kind of weight on an actor before. It was really, really funny. Totally disparaging. You should check it out. Uh, Mark Harris, who does great celebrity interviews, interviewed uh, him for New York Magazine. Very entertaining. I think he aged. He has a, uh, he has a you know. He's every inch his, his age on yeah, camera. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't hasn't done a thing for himself. He's allowed himself to weather. But I think it looks good on no, him. I looks, he looks great. And I think he, he's, you know, he has a ton of experience now. Um, so, yeah, you can tell. You can, you can. He and Nicole have never worked together, which is actually a little surprising yeah, to me. But yeah. uh, they're great. I think they have great chemistry and they're very believable as husband and wife, even when, you know, the story takes a turn and she winds up hating him. Um, so... That's really all we wanted to say is it's, it's, I don't, let me put it this way. I think it's really enjoyable. I don't think it's going to get many Emmy nominations. Maybe Sutherland might get one because he's Donald Sutherland and he's always amazing. amazing, And I honestly wouldn't mind if uh, also, oh, also Edgar Ramirez is in it who played Johnny Versace. Oh my God, that means he's so gorgeous. He is really unique. He's not just good looking. He's actually unique looking. He's got a really interesting face. I wanted to highlight uh, Noma Dumaswani, the actress who played the uh, defense attorney. Yes. I was just about to mention her. Yes. If anybody should get a, a, an Emmy nomination, it's She's probably awesome. her. But I do want to say it doesn't have. It's very soapy. It's 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 got all the veneer of prestige television. It looks expensive. It's high stars. I mean, it's Hugh Grant, Donald Sutherland, Nicole Kidman, major movie stars. But 
I don't think it has that same level of prestige quality where it would win a bunch of awards. It's soapy. It's a soapy, twisty murder mystery. And I will say, I've, I don't know the ending. We haven't seen the ending. We've seen the first five episodes. And the I finally finished the fifth one because I know you finished before I did. And what it lands on in the fifth episode, the twist, I just started laughing. I was like, I, if this is how it ends, I'm going to just laugh my ass off because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, it's but, very entertaining. But I it is entertaining. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like we said in the review, you give Nicole Kidman a good wig and a role as a wealthy woman who's about to lose everything. And she's in her sweet spot. That is women wealthy women who are stressed the f out that's her that is her i watched the others the other night because every october i get into watching uh scary movies and i literally have not seen the others in probably 15 years and that's her that and first off what a great movie that is she looks amazing in it um i love our, the irish is, that, is she yeah fianola flanagan oh is God, in it yeah her. uh it's on i think netflix or prime you should She's watch so it good. um but again, that's the quintessential, she's a wealthy woman who's about to snap. Well, actually, in that movie, she really did snap. Um, that's her sweet spot. So it's never a problem watching that. And the great thing about her character of Grace Fraser is that she gives you the sort of character she played in um, Big Little Lies. This very elegant, uh, you know, mm -hmm. seemingly self-assured, but what maybe not as much as you might think. And then at other times, she gives you like this really dark turn right. where you're like, I don't know who this woman is. Right, I don't right, know right. if she's crazy or if she's a victim here. Right. So I, I have to say, I do like uh, his performance. Um, Hugh Grant? Yes, I do like it. Uh, I think... It leaves you wondering. You cannot tell. I, I was you just about... Tell. Oh, my God. You read my mind. He does such a good job because you go from like thinking he's lying, thinking he's telling the truth every five seconds. Yeah. Uh, he's so good at that. Uh, he, he does a great job. You really don't know where it's going. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it very much. Yes. I, again, I don't think it's Emmy-winning prestige television, but it is good, entertaining, juicy television for this time of year. So thumbs up on that. Yeah. And, uh, we and that's it for end. this week. Loads of opinions shooting your way. We'll be back next week with more on whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. But until then, we thank you very, very much for all your support. Stay safe in this yes, weird-ass yes, time. Yes, yes. And love you, mean it. Bye-bye.